standing to hear from God's word this morning, and Bob's going to come read for us as we begin the Sermon on the Mount. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I read an article recently that was written by a business and education writer named David Perel, who is not a believer, but it was really interesting to read this article because in the article he argues the Bible is the one book that every person should read. He took it upon himself, even though he's not a believer, he's not a churchgoer, to start reading through the Bible, something he'd never done before. And he found himself amazed by the depth of its teaching. He comments in the article of all the contemporary writings we have that are so shallow and, and often trite, the Bible brings such incredible wisdom. In fact, he said the Bible is like an oak tree and all of these branches that we have in our regular lives hang off of that tree. He says it's amazing as you read through scripture and you realize how, how many things that we've learned as, as people in Western culture through Western civilization are built on scripture. Nations documents and great pieces of literature, they, they all seem to have this, this fundamental idea that there's an understanding of scripture for those who then read those documents or read those pieces of literature. In fact, he makes the statement in the article, ignoring the Bible is one of the biggest mistakes that smart people make, even though many of them are proud to make that mistake. Yet as you read through, you see that yes, David Peril is gleaning from scripture bits of wisdom and and amazing teaching and, and truths that are foundational even to the culture and society in which he lives. But you also then, as you read, get the sense, but, but his heart has not been changed by its message. There's a difference between saying, I, I value the teachings of Scripture, I value the words of God, I even see positive things about the Christian faith, and saying that my heart has been transformed by God himself. Through the work of Jesus Christ, my, my heart has become new. I'm still in the process of becoming an entirely new creation. And through his word, because of that transformational work that is happening in me, God's word doesn't just teach me, 
It doesn't just make me more successful. It's not just something to be amazed by. It's something that also is working in me and teaching me to become more like Jesus himself. At the center of the Bible, yes, it's a book that every person should read. At the center of the Bible is Jesus Christ. And at the heart of Jesus' teaching is the Sermon on the Mount. And so it gives me great joy this morning, even though it's a gloomy day, it's been raining, it's sort of dark and cloudy. Welcome to summer. It might not look like summer outside yet, but we are here. And welcome to the Summer on the Mount, where for the next several weeks we will walk through the heart of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Jesus gave the message on the mount on a hillside near Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. Several of us a few weeks ago were actually walking in this spot, which is certainly somewhere close to where Jesus gave the message on the mount. But one thing I think people often mistake is they think that this sermon on the mount, this message that Jesus gave was just a one-time thing. In fact, some people might even remark, they're amazed at how much math you can remember. How fast must he have been writing that he would be able to sit through and give us word for word transcribe the greatest sermon that was ever preached, the first message on the mount. But actually, if you read through the Gospels, you see some of these things come up again. Even some word for word teaching from the message on the mount come up again and not in Galilee. So we know that this was not just something that Jesus said once. These were not just words of Jesus that were given on one occasion, but these are the things Jesus was saying all the time. These were the consistent teachings that he was giving to his disciples and to the crowds and to the religious leaders, bringing them back to what was at the heart of his message, foundationally built upon the words God had been giving to his people from the beginning. And Jesus, being consistent in his ministry, was also consistent in his message. And he gives us here in the Sermon on the Mount, as he gave on this one occasion, words that Matthew heard often. This is what it truly means to be a disciple and to live in a way that that transformation that's happening in our hearts is something that is happening on the outside, but it can also be seen. It is reflected in who we are and the people that we are becoming in Jesus Christ. The message on the mount begins with what we call the Beatitudes. Those statements you've heard this morning that start with, Blessed are those. Blessed are the ones. Blessed are you. In fact, this, this style of teaching that we call Beatitudes was really a common teaching tool in the ancient world. You can find Beatitudes in the Old Testament. You can find other occasions where Jesus used them. You can find them in Greek literature, in Roman literature. But Jesus is the master teacher, mastered the Beatitudes. And he used this way of speaking to begin this beautiful message, telling us what it means to be blessed, not so much in a way that is prosperity in this life, but these Beatitudes tell us why God calls us blessed. And those conditions that exist in us that evidence of the transformation that is happening in us, that when God sees them, he says, now that is blessed. Or as we Baptists like to say, that is blessed. And this is how God 
describes what it looks like to live with the joy and the peace that he gives. The context of the Sermon on the Mount, where Matthew begins in in verse 1, tells us that this was a moment around the Sea of Galilee when the crowds were still nearby. That means in addition to the disciples, there were also those who were among the poor and the sick and the disabled and the blind, the lepers, those who were tormented by demons. And then there were also others like the religious leaders. You had in this crowd Pharisees and teachers of the law rubbing elbows with the poor rubbing elbows with the sick people they weren't normally around you had jews and gentiles together because this was in the galilee and so in this crowd you had this incredible cross-section of people who lived together and lived nearby each other but matthew wants us to know that as jesus begins the sermon on the mount yes the crowds are present the religious leaders are present but he was speaking directly to the disciples He was talking directly to those who had truly committed to follow him and giving them these words, what does it look like to truly be the disciple that you say that you are? And with the Beatitudes, he begins by talking about how God calls us blessed. So what I've done this morning for this first part of the message on the Mount is separate into two categories here, the Beatitudes. The first part really speaks to us about character. The second part really speaks to us about how from our character flows obedience. And as we begin with that conversation on character, those who are blessed, as Jesus calls us, in the kingdom of heaven are those who demonstrate kingdom character. What that transformation looks like, what it has done for us in our heart in our inner being and what it means for words like integrity you might have noticed that recently i've talked about character a lot in our messages and in our 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 service time and you might wonder why well one of the reasons is that i often hear and some of you may often hear as criticisms of the church today that we we tend to hold character and integrity sort of conveniently we expect it and we demand it when it's convenient for us we celebrate it when it's convenient to do so but we've also had some times where it's been convenient to ignore the importance of integrity and character and the world sees that people around us see the mixed messages they hear them they're confused and they wonder whether or not in the church character and integrity really do matter to us well jesus begins the beatitudes by saying those who are blessed in the kingdom of heaven absolutely care about character and integrity blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven now many who were following jesus were literally poor if you look at luke chapter 6 another occasion where jesus uses some beatitudes to that crowd that's called the sermon on the plain on the flat ground this is the sermon on the mount that's the sermon on the flat ground jesus says blessed are the poor and he just leaves it at that but here he says blessed are the poor in spirit those who upon looking to jesus are stripped of their pride those of us who say when when we 
in our hearts behold the king of kings we bow before his majesty in complete humility and we say to the king of kings you are great when we are not though we have no part of us nothing intrinsically in us that makes us worthy to stand in your presence in the presence of a holy god you welcome us into that place anyway and we surrender our lives to you because you are god and we are not to be poor in spirit is to confess our absolute dependence upon the lord that without him we are nothing and we can do nothing though we might rightly say that even if we have nothing if we have christ we have everything and if we have many things but we don't have christ we have nothing all of that must be in surrender and living through that that transformed life in such a way that that says to the lord at all times we are humble before you we are completely dependent upon you and lord without you we are nothing each one of the beatitudes we are looking at this morning i want to tie to another scripture some will be tied to words that jesus uses in other places others will remind us of the words of god from the hebrew scriptures that here jesus is saying something that's not new it's not as if he's saying for the first time blessed are those who are poor in spirit and it's a novel idea but jesus is reminding his true disciples of what god has been saying consistently to his people all along just as god said through the prophet isaiah jesus said blessed are the poor in spirit isaiah wrote these are the ones i look on with favor those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word the poor in spirit recognize their complete dependence upon him and even though there is nothing intrinsic in us that makes us worthy to stand in his presence jesus says yours is the kingdom of heaven it's not so much a reward but it's a result of being humble in spirit and surrendering to god everything that is his belongs to us we get the full rights in his family as sons and daughters of the king blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted here there is mourning over personal pain and loss yes it's a, a wonderful personal reminder that when we are hurting when we face pain and loss and we seek the comfort of the lord he will comfort us but remember these are also about character and attributes of a true disciple and many of the ancient christians who comment on verse four they say yes this is about personal mourning and personal suffering but it's also about that sense of mourning we feel that sense of, of pain and discouragement when we, we feel when we look at the world around us and we see how broken it truly is. There's a sense of mourning personally, yes, but there's also that mourning that comes when we see what sin has done to God's creation. And when we, and we can certainly understand this, look at our culture and our world around us and we see just how broken and dark and destructive things can be. 
We've had an awful reminder of that in our city this week. That, that hit every one of us in some way personally if we live here. And this came after some terrible, awful things we saw the week before. And we have all these dark reminders that, that sin is devastating and destructive and that brokenness is all too real. Sometimes it hits really, really close to home. And listen, when I think about this terrible ec epidemic that we have in our country that is so unique to our country of these mass gun violence incidents, I, I'm always hurt and discouraged by it, but when it happens in our city, it really makes us all stop and think. And I know all of us would say, we don't have all of the answers, but we certainly know something has to change. But in these moments, when grief hits us personally and also it's right in front of us how broken the world is, isn't it a wonderful reminder from Jesus himself? It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. We don't typically think of those who are mourning as being blessed. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn because God will comfort them and that is the promise the promise is not comfort that comes from human beings though we we do need that and it can be a blessing when that happens but no this kind of comfort is the kind of comfort that only god can give and listen if you've experienced that you know it if you've experienced the comfort that god gives that that can only come from him you know what i'm talking about and it's a gift that he gives to us as his sons and daughters, his children, his family, his beloved ones. When we mourn and we seek him, he brings us divine comfort that no human being can offer. And again, this is rooted in what God had been saying to his people all along. From our scripture reading today in Psalm 34 that we read just a moment ago. The righteous cry out, and isn't this an incredible promise? and the Lord hears them. When we cry out in suffering, when we cry out in mourning, we can trust that the Lord hears us. He delivers them from all their troubles, and the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted with the kind of comfort that only God can give. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This word meekness in the New Testament is very close to the fruit of the Spirit we call gentleness. Meekness is often identified as weakness, but not as the New Testament presents it. The kind of meekness that the New Testament presents to us is, is a meekness that flows out of strength. In spite of the strength that the Lord gives us, in humility, in surrender, acknowledging our absolute dependence upon him because the Lord demonstrates and models that gentleness and humility for us, then we live that way so that others might see that gentleness, humility, that meekness that is actually Christ-like when we live that way. Look what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, just like we've been weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is not cumbersome upon your shoulders. Take it upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Why do the meek inherit the earth? Because the meek are disciples. They're Christ-like. He modeled for us, even though he is the king of kings, what it means to be gentle, to be humble in heart. And he modeled this for us in a world where those things were not seen as virtues. They were seen as weakness. But Jesus says, you, my people, will inherit the earth. And the Christ-likeness I've modeled for you, others will see. Whoever wants to become, Matthew 20, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth with Christ. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We certainly live in a culture that is known to have an insatiable appetite for lots of things. We have an insatiable appetite for things like sex and money and drugs and things and screen time and entertainment and all those things that stimulate us we have an insatiable appetite for those things which actually can never fill us the problem with those things is though we desire them and we always want more and more and more they never actually fill us up the more we take in the emptier we feel and so we can never have enough not only can we never have enough but when we constantly are trying to fill our appetite for those things that the Bible, the Bible warns us about time and again, they actually end up destroying us. Instead of the things of Christ which transform us from the inside out, when we try to fill ourselves with all of those other things, it ends up eating us alive from the inside out. But Jesus says, those who have an appetite for righteousness, those for thirst who thirst for truth and what is good, who, who seek to live in an upright way and to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. For those who have that kind of hunger, they will be filled. For those who, who thirst for the righteousness of Christ, they will never thirst again. Jesus said in John chapter 6, he didn't just say it, John says he declared it. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is the bread that comes down from heaven, and whoever eats of that bread, listen, they will be filled. And Jesus is the living water, and whoever drinks of the living water of righteousness in Jesus Christ will never truly thirst again. This is an outflow of who we are. It's also a, a description of our character, our being. As that transformation takes place, we, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We hunger and thirst for the word of God. We can't get enough because we've experienced that which only Christ can give. So we make our way through these beatitudes. And these first four really express our dependence upon God our character 
The rest of the Beatitudes then flow from our character into obedience. They, they are the outworking of that absolute dependence upon God. And they remind us of some ways what it looks like for others to see that the transformation of our heart and life is indeed in process. From kingdom character is demonstrated obedient attitudes and actions. In verse 7, as Jesus continues, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, I don't think that we should misunderstand this as we will be shown mercy always from our fellow human beings. It's not as if Jesus is saying that this is like an equal reimbursement. To every person you show mercy, they'll give you mercy back. To every person to whom you are kind, you will get kindness in return. We know that's not how the world works. What Jesus is saying is those who have experienced already so much mercy from the Lord himself then must display that kind of mercy to others through Jesus Christ. And in doing so, you will become even more aware of just how merciful Christ is to you. The more you live and walk in the kind of mercy, just as our choir saying that, that God has given to us as a gift, the more you will demonstrate that mercy to others and you will even be aware of just how much God loves you and how incredible is his grace for you. Blessed are the merciful because they will receive mercy. And I love the way one ancient Christian said it. He said, this kind of mercy, this kind of compassion, it's more than just giving to the poor or taking care of the orphan or the widow. That's important, but lots of people do that. Jesus modeled, this Christian said, the kind of compassion that even leads us to love our enemies and even helps us to treat our enemies well, even when they do evil to us. This kind of compassion, he says, is something the world hardly even knows a taste of. But in Jesus Christ, we who have received so much mercy, we show it even to that level, even to the level of what Jesus said later in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. After all, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The, the Lord timed that perfectly in the 830 service, by the way, when I said the rain. It just hit the ceiling. It was, we were in sync. It was a wonderful moment. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Everyone does that. Are not even the tax collectors doing that? But blessed are the merciful who will experience and become so aware of just how merciful Christ is that they will even be able to love their enemies. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This is an, a beautiful promise that doesn't just mean we will see God in the next life. It means those who are pure in heart, those who are, are constantly living in obedience so that sin is being removed from our hearts and lives, though it is ever-present, 
as sin is being removed it's also like pollutants are being removed from our bodies the the things that cloud our vision the eyes of our heart the understanding of our minds they are being cleared up we live in a world that is so filled with deception we're never quite sure if we can believe the things we hear but as we seek and experience the purity and heart that comes with obedience god clears our eyes and he clears our minds so that we might be able to see him and when we see him we see what is true and we see what is right and this is so much different than what we see in the most religious people who are are in the crowds as jesus is preaching the sermon on the mount i, I love to think about as we read through these these chapters what must the pharisees and the teachers of the law have been thinking as jesus is saying these things do they realize that their lives and their attitudes look so much the opposite of of what like so much the opposite of what jesus is saying is is a true disciple a true person of god or are the pharisees and the teachers of the law still like we often are boy i'm glad somebody else is hearing that message right Jesus must be talking about everyone else. This, these scriptures must be about everyone else, not me. Jesus later said to those religious leaders and teachers of the law, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy. You are full of greed and self-indulgence. And then he said, you, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. Did they know, did they hear these words of the Lord and realize that God was trying to speak to them about the transformation of their heart? As we've said, it is all too possible to be very religious, but for God to not have your heart. Or as Jesus says later in the Sermon on the Mount, there's going to come a day where you're going to meet me in person and some of you are going to say to me on that day i did this 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 and this for you and i'm going to say to you but i never knew you i never had your heart blessed are the pure in heart jesus said for they will truly see god or psalm 24 reads who may ascend the mountain of the lord who may stand in his holy place the one who has clean hands and a pure heart we cannot stand in the presence of a holy god without personal holiness but jesus says blessed are those who are pure in heart because they will see god blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of god when we were walking around this area of Galilee, we had just before then, a few weeks ago, visited a lot of other cities, ancient cities around this area. And when you visit those sites all around Israel and especially around Galilee, one thing that's really obvious is that there was a lot of division and a lot of fighting and hatred in the first century, just like we experience today. You had conflicts going on everywhere at this time between Jews and Romans and Jews and Greeks and Jews and other Jews and families and tribes. And yet here standing by the Sea of Galilee surrounded by people who, who were representing all of those different groups. 
Jesus says, even in the midst of that level of division, blessed are the peacemakers. I love the way one scholar said it. Blessed are those who bring peace to people and bring people to peace. Blessed are those who who bring the peace of Christ through sharing the good news of the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. But blessed also are those who bring people out of division and strife and hate into a place of peace. Who, Who have experienced the peace of Christ. They know what it's like for that dividing wall in their heart between themselves and God and themselves and their fellow man to come down. And they want others in obedience to experience the same thing and to live in peace. I love what another scholar said. When we are peacemakers, we are chips off the old block. We look like our heavenly father. And thus, as we represent the family name well, we are called children of God. Psalm 34 again. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Finally, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. When we suffer for doing wrong, listen, that's not called persecution, that's called punishment, okay? It's a different thing. But when we are persecuted because of righteousness, those who are persecuted because out of their character and integrity, they are living in obedience of attitude and action. They are blessed because just as Jesus said about the poor in spirit, those who are persecuted for righteousness, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We can always take hope that if we face persecution as citizens of the culture or nation we're in here, that our, our true citizenship is in heaven and our savior comes from there, our king comes from there, And ours is the kingdom of God, even when we suffer here. And I love the way that that he he sort of builds this one out differently than the others. He switches from the third person to the second person. I can imagine Jesus looking in the midst of the crowd right at his disciples as he says this, maybe even pointing at them. And he says, blessed are you. Blessed are you when people insult you, when they falsely say all kinds of evil things about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. First, because great is your reward in heaven. There will come a day when that will end and and great will be your reward in the kingdom of heaven. But also rejoice because when you are persecuted, you're in good company because they persecuted the prophets who were before you in the same way. John chapter 15, Jesus says similarly, blessed are you if the world persecutes and hates you. Keep in mind that it persecuted and hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own, but as it is, you do not belong to the world because I have chosen you out of the world and this, this is why the world hates you. But blessed are you when persecuted because of righteousness because the kingdom of heaven is yours it's altogether possible and quite common to have all the outer appearances of being religious without truly giving your heart to god but when god truly has my heart 
I can say I'm a new creation. I've died to my sin. I've died to my old way of life. I've been raised with Christ into a new life, and I have the righteousness of Christ, not because I'm righteous, but because it is a wonderful gift of his grace because of what Christ has done. And the deeper I go into Jesus' teaching, the master teacher, and follow in his steps, prayerfully, the more I'm becoming like him. But I will tell you this morning, brothers and sisters, and I'm sure you would agree, I'm still in process. That work of transformation in my heart and life is still happening. But I long that these characteristics of the transformed life that Jesus gives us will not just describe what I experience in heaven someday, but they'll also be the things that I experience as a disciple following him now. And I pray that that will be true for you and for me, and that as we follow Jesus, we will know in our heart, blessed are we, rejoice and be glad, because we are children of our Father in heaven.